Maybe I'll ask the ushers. <laughs> I'm asking the ushers if they would come forward, please. <clears throat> and I'm going to have you receive the offering while I talk this morning. Just shake things up because I'm a radical. <laughs> let's pray together. Let's, pr- let's pray. Lord, we have reason to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. And uh, Lord, thank you for the gathering of your people, the freedom that we have, uh, the chance to worship. There are people around the globe uh, at different hours will be lifting up your name today, and we're part of that. There are people in hiding in worship today and uh, take their lives in their hands to lift up your name. We have it fairly easy. We think it's hard if it snows. And these people face bullets. And so, God, uh, thank you for the blessings that you have put upon us. We don't want to take them for granted. We want to worship you. And one of those blessings is you provide for us so that we can contribute to your kingdom You don't need anything. We've got it all backwards so many times. People think that's all churches are ever interested in is money. And the fact is you don't need one cent. But you invite us to participate in eternal investments. And I pray that we would do that today. Uh, Lord, as we give, uh, give us wisdom in utilizing what has been given to advance your kingdom, to glorify you. We want to see people come into the family of God. We want to see people who are rescued become mature disciples that are reproductive. So do that work among us, we pray. And as we worship you with giving and as we continue with singing and as we gather around the table, Lord, let our hearts be lifted up to you. Let us do what Jesus talked about, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Liberate our tongues today as we will seek to edify one another by uh, praising and honoring you for the good things you've done. So bless this time, we pray. We commit this to you in the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen Amen and Amen. Gentlemen, if you would, and I know that you're all uh, able to multitask and put your offering in the plate and listen to me. And laugh, too, probably, even, yeah. Okay, so this morning I wanted to mention, if you are in the Daily Bible, and I know people, there's a lot of buzz about it. There is a lot of buzz, right? People are enjoying being in the Word, and, uh, huh? Buzz, buzz, buzz. Buzz, buzz. And it's a good thing to be in the Word of God. I'm still uh, loving it. I am, all right, where's, uh, where did Jim Vizethan end up? Uh, Jim, I, I, I think I'm past 20% now, since he's keeping me accountable for some reason, I don't know. And uh, you have, however, today you should be up to about page 55 if you're following along, right? Anybody? How many of you have already fallen behind? You can be honest here. No judgment. No ju- Get on it and uh, <laughs> catch up. 
And uh, for those of you who don't know, we've got a version of the Bible that gives brief explanations and will take us through the entire Bible in a year. But we're not doing it in a year. We're doing it in two years to make sure we can all make it. <laughs> Let's put it that way, right? It's, it can be daunting, right? You think, I'll read through the whole Bible. I mean, it's more than a thousand pages, not war and peace. But anyway, you're up to page 55. Yes, sir. What, what, is there a problem here? Yes, there is a prayer meeting for you after service, and we're going to encourage and inspire you. I'm so glad you asked. Jody is going to be sending it out if she hasn't already. She's not feeling well, so I'm not going to make her ask, uh, talk loud. But um, yes, we have the page numbers and how far you should be. Uh, whatever the date is on there, you know, you have to look it up. Page 55, that's all I know. And that means, so far, you have covered a whole bunch of stuff out of Genesis. Last week I mentioned and forgot to, to uh, highlight the fact that the story of that amazing baby that comes along, Isaac, you know, and then there's this other one. Anybody remember? Ishmael? Has anybody read the paper lately and noticed that the Middle East is always in trouble? That's where it dates to. You realize that that's where it all began? We have the record. We have the news reports. Uh, much more accurate, inspired, in fact. And uh, so that's Isaac and Ishmael, all the problems in the Middle East. And that miracle birth, Isaac comes on the scene, even though Abraham and Sarah are way past the age of having children. So it's kind of like a miraculous birth, right? And then later on, Isaac is offered up. God rescues at the last second. Do you see a picture in there by any chance? A miraculous birth and then a sacrifice and a, in a way, a resurrection from the dead. You see? Do you see it? Do I have to spell it out more? Okay, it's a picture of Jesus, right? And when God arranges in the Old Testament real historic events that foreshadow the coming of the Messiah and later events, it's called a type, right? It's a type. It's a picture. It's something that God let happen intentionally to show us something greater later on. Like, you're going to come across eventually King David and then his son Solomon the wealthiest king and spectacular kingdom, all pictures of the great and glorious king of kings and lord of lords, the Lord Jesus that's coming, okay? And uh, the last thing I'm going to mention, I think you're up to Jacob and Esau now, if you're up to 55, and uh, there's tension there. Have you ever noticed they both have sin natures? In fact, really appropriate today, since our next command is... Thou shalt not bear false witness. And Jacob, who's the, the source of the children of Israel, the chosen people that God was going to use to bring the Messiah into the world, is a schemer. I have the floor, so he's a schemer. However, yeah, he, he, yeah, he was sneaky. Um, However, the one thing that, what, why do you think was the difference? Those of you who read it, um, why does Esau get shelved, even though he's the firstborn? What was, what did, what was it about Jacob? 
even though he was, he was not perfect, right? Like, like some of us in the room are perfect, I know. No, we're all, we all have some of this stuff in us, right? In fact, I don't even know if I want to preach my sermon today because I'm so embarrassed. But anyway, anybody figure it out? He valued what Esau didn't value, the birthright. He valued it. And for some reason, God laid his hand on him, and out of him is going to come the whole family of the children of Israel. It's pretty exciting, right? So that's the story on the Daily Bible and how far you should be. And uh, today I want to continue with our series on the Ten Commandments. And let's see if we can remember, starting at the top, one word for each command. One through ten. Because that's a challenge, is it not? Because people say, oh yeah, I know the Ten Commandments, and they don't really. And then if we do know them, we have a real hard time putting them in order. So the very first one is... God. How easy can it get? Next after God is idols. No idols after that. Name. Right. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Then Sabbath. Then parents. Then murder. Next one. Immorality. If you use adultery, that's okay. It covers it all. Steal. Lie. Covet. Very good. You all pass. All right. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. We're in the series of the Ten Can I get my screen up? Sorry. I don't know what's going on here. Now I hit it three times. It's probably way past where it's supposed to be. There it is. Ten Commandments. All right. Are we ready? You don't have to read. I'll read for you, but just follow along as we stand in the presence of God. The children of Israel, when they would open the book, would stand up as a recognition and honor, if you will, that God Almighty is about to speak to us. Here we go. Uh, Something's wrong here. There we go. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. I know you have a million questions going through your heads right now, and I'm not going there. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey, his BMW or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Before you sit, let's pray. God, your words are life. They weren't designed to bring death, but because we are so broken, we violate reality. We go against the laws of nature. We, we grab electricity in our hands and we wonder why we get burned. Instruct us today. Illumine our minds. Strengthen us. We want to please you. In Jesus' name we pray for help. Amen. You may be seated. So I call today's message um, a fulgum rule. Everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. Not at all. But some may. School teachers may. Huh? Not all of us? Sorry. Robert Fulgham. I'll tell you where I got the name from this guy right here. Isn't he a nice-looking guy? little bow tie. I think I'm going to start doing that. I'm wearing a little bow tie, grow my beard in, smoke a pipe. You know, anyway. <laughs> Robert Fulgham. He wrote something you might recognize. All I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. Oh, that guy. Now we remember, huh? All I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. You ready? Share every Can I can I can I park here for Well, let me let me read it. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Western karate class. Put things back where you found them. Class, put things back where you found them. There's a little subtle hint in that. There Lord, not so subtle. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. (laughs) Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. I like this one. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. It's a good one, especially in Orange County. Be aware of wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down, the plant goes up, and nobody really knows how or why, but we're all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even a little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die and so do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first word you learned, the biggest word of all. Look! Everything you need to know is in there somewhere, the golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology, politics, equality, and sane living. Then he says a few other things, but think what a better world it would be if all the world, the whole world, had cookies and milk about 3 o'clock every afternoon then lay down with their blankies for a nap. (laughs) Or if all governments had basic policy to always put things back where they found them and to clean up their own mess. Yeah, woo-hoo. Still true, no matter how old you are. Isn't that great? Just kind of fun. 
The reason I thought of it, my original title was going to be a fulgum irony. Because I thought about the fact nobody would ever have a hissy or demonstration about that being on a classroom wall. But God forbid that the Ten Commandments should be on the wall, especially the last five. Imagine if people actually stupidly obeyed them. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Oh, what a horrible thing if somebody should accidentally obey them. I thought that was rather ironic. How about you? So that was my original title, but I decided I'd move on to one of his rules. I just wanted to talk about a little principle that he mentions because it relates to our commandment today, and so we'll get to that in just a minute. Let me just mention two other, if, if you got a kick out of that, some people criticized him for being very saccharine and corny and whatever, and he probably is. But there were a couple of good things that I thought. This one is kind of just... just um, reinforces what he learned in, in Sunday school or in, uh, in kindergarten. I thought it was a good, good comment and uh, more truth than fiction in it. You may never have proof of your importance, but you are more important than you think. I will. Because I really feel like people need to hear that today. Young people with no purpose in life taking their own lives. It's like... Oh, anyway, you may never have proof of your importance, but you are more important than you think. Here's the second half. There are always those who couldn't do without you. The rub is you don't always know who they are. Isn't that true? Anybody ever see A Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart? It's classic, isn't it? Classic. And there's more truth in it than fiction. There really is. This one's just for fun. Uh... We're all a little weird, and life is a little weird. And when we find someone whose weirdness is compatible with ours, we join up with them and fall into mutually satisfying weirdness. And we call it love, true love. <laughs> Here's the problem, though. We don't think we're weird. <laughs> That's my comment. Right? You don't really know how weird you are, but anyway. So I just thought he was kind of fun. But there are more serious commands than that, right? And our commandment for today is this one. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If you're a bulletin uh, note taker, I've got a section after 520 Deuteronomy. I'm quoting it from Deuteronomy. It can come out of chapter 20 of Exodus or Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. And this one's from Deuteronomy reads pretty much the same. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Here's what's interesting. These words, false witness, let's see, that. Whoops, I hit the wrong thing. Anyway, let's see if I can get it back. No, nope, I don't want him. I want that. Here's a little dagger. Here we go. False and witness. This word witness is the word for evidence. And the other word, false, very interesting word. It means, well, it kind of can be translated wind, vanity, emptiness, emptiness. Shall not bear empty evidence against your neighbor. So what is this referring to? There are profound impl implications from this command of not bearing false witness. So your fill-ins there go like this. One, it's directed primarily, it should be obvious, that it's directed primarily to the legal system. 
that if you're in court, and you know when you're in court, you have to go, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me. They still let you say that? They still do that? They do? What's wrong with this country? But anyway, so help me God, right? And uh, I will speak the truth. It should be obvious that God takes a very dim view of swearing in court and then lying. It's kind of like the kind of people that would put someone to death like Jesus, who was perfect, because they did that. So he has a dim view of it. Legality. It has to do with legality, the L. It also has to do with blasphemy, because think about that. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in, right? If I say, I swear, remember the princess bride? Take him and put him in the ship and blah, blah, blah. I swear it will be done. And he, he's lying, you know. He's lying. I swear it will be done. Wow. That's blasphemy. When I say, in the name of God, I swear it will be done. So help me God. And then I'm lying. It, it flows over, not just to lying, but blaspheming the name of God, right? So we're going to get to that later on when we work our way uh, up the ladder, remember? We're working our way up the ladder of badness. I know you can't wait. Anyway, wait till it gets really bad. And by the way, blasphemy, the, the use of this command does apply to foul speech as well. There is an application. We'll see that as we look at a couple of other verses. Then it's obviously applying to just plain lying, telling non-truths. You have that over and over again. Jesus taught on this. James reiterates, brethren, let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you're an honest person, you don't have to say, I swear. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I'm telling the truth. I swear on my grandmother's shadow. You don't have to do that. You never heard that one, huh? Got to get out. Anyway, I swear. You don't have to do that because people know you tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. And then the last one is, it has to do with profitability. I put a P there because he says, don't speak emptiness. Don't speak vain things. Don't give bad evidence about people unless it's absolutely necessary to establish truth. Don't do that. Make sure what you speak is profitable. Another way to put it, I, I like to use the term redemptive. You know, sometimes I have to speak harsh things. In other words, what that person did is wrong. Well, was that wrong? Yes, it was horrendously wrong. But I want to speak it redemptively. How can I help correct rather than catalog the person as a hopeless case forever? So, profitability. Now, Fulgham's rule that I wanted to point out. Here's what he said. Yelling at living things does tend to kill the spirit in them. Sticks and stones may break. I guess that includes talking to your plants and your pets. But I, I, I may, anyway, we're not going to touch that. Yelling at living things does tend to kill the spirit in them. Listen to this. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will break our hearts. That's the, um, that's the bent I want to go down this morning because I only have a few minutes today. We're going to gather around the table, and I'm hoping as we do, you might speak redemptively to one another this morning. I'm going to open the floor for people to speak of the glory of God and how he's working in our lives and encourage one another with that.
And so I want to look at the positive side of not speaking vanity is to speak life. So that's what I want to talk about. And then we'll get to the nasty side of this next week. Can't wait, right? Can't wait. So his encouragement here is that words can break our hearts. You know, I talked uh, in a humorous way about my friend A.B. Blair, that old southern brother who said you can't sow your wild oats and then pray for crop failure. And you really can't sow death and then reap life. You can't speak death constantly and reap life out of it. In a few minutes, we'll talk about how that has such an impact on our children, for example, and the people around us. I have way too many terrible stories, so I'll try to restrain myself. But here's the Bible version of what we're talking about. And if you do have a Bible, uh, you want to turn to uh, the text that was at the top of your uh, bulletin. It's Proverbs chapter 12. I'm not putting it. I'm only going to put two bits of this on the screen. So if you want to read this with your own eyes and know that I'm not making it up, you have to turn to page 651 in the Bible that's in the chair or find your way to Proverbs, the 12th chapter, and starting in the 17th verse. Here's what it says. It's page 651. Down toward the bottom, verse 17. He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's a good one. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Skip down one to verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. I want to just highlight a couple of those if I could. All right. And the first one is the last one we just saw. The very last one we saw is, let's see, I think I have it. Uh, up here somewhere. There we go. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Think about that. Abomination. That's a strong term. You find that in the Old Testament for really raunchy stuff. God says, that's an abomination. I, I despise that. I don't like it. I wonder why that would be. Why is it an abomination? Maybe it has something to do with the fact that Jesus Christ, who is God, is the way, the truth, and the life. That God always speaks the truth. That it's part of his nature, and that we're to reflect some of that. And there definitely is an advantage in it that said something in one of those uh, Proverbs about the truthful lips will be established. The advantage of telling the truth all the time is you never have to remember anything. Isn't that great? Don't have to remember because I'm still going to say the same story because I didn't make anything up, right? really does help. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. So in the Old Testament, you'll be getting there not too far out when Saul becomes king of Israel. And uh, he's a disobedient character. He's 
uh, rambunctious. He makes bad decisions. He's jealous. He's actually starting to lose his crackers at one point. He's trying to persecute and put to death his best right-hand man, David. He's not a healthy person. And somewhere before that happens, God speaks clearly to him and says, because you've not honored me, because you've disobeyed me, you're going to lose the kingdom. I'm going to give it to somebody better than you. And uh, Saul is still concerned about what everybody thinks. And so he's trying to get Samuel to maneuver and make sure he's still honored in front of everybody. And Samuel says, boy, are you missing it. He says, God won't lie. The glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. He will not lie. It's an abomination, and that's why, because God is a truth speaker always. God speaks the truth, and God loves us. He wishes no harm for us. That's why he tells us the truth, because he has created all of reality, and when we're in tune with his principles, we'll be in tune with the real universe as it is. The problem is we don't really believe that, so we go against those principles, and then we wonder why we get burned by electricity. So God will always speak the truth because he loves us. And there's some statement that Jesus made. Let's see. what The truth shall... No, the truth and the truth... uh, What was it? Yeah. The truth will set you free. And that really does work. So, speaking of that, truth, the law of love, caring for your neighbor, what were the two summation commands of all of the law. What were the two summation commands? One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Can anybody figure out why lying is not loving your neighbor? <laughs> it's not that complex. Right? Martin Luther's catechism, I used this last time. I just love the straightforward question and answer. What is false witness? False witness is every untrue and unkind statement about our neighbor in court or daily life. Untrue and unkind. Boy, is he cruel. We're all dead, right? Starting this morning, we're all dead. Everybody sign up for death. So we can confess and get freed up. (laughs) When do we bear false witness in daily life, he asks? Well, we bear false witness in daily life when we lie about our neighbor, betray him, or injure his reputation by slander or idle gossip. Oh. Some of these guys are a pain. A talebearer reveals secrets, Proverbs 11 says, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. James 4.11, speak not evil of one another, brethren, right? Very clear. Is it possible to speak about our neighbor's sins without bearing false witness? Yes, sometimes I have to speak the truth. We mentioned that earlier. I have to deal with it. You shall not. Here's what it says in Leviticus chapter 19. Get this. I've I've shared this one before. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Speak the truth. New Testament version, speak the truth in love. Speaking in the truth in love, we will be built up and become more and more like Christ himself. That's the intention, speaking the truth. Now, let me move that a little bit further if I could. 
This is how the universe works, if you will. He's intending that we be redemptive. In fact, um, let's see, this guy's name is Peter Craig, a New International um, Commentary on the Old Testament. Really good on this particular command. Basically says this, the principle involved was that the breach of commandment undermined the basic characteristic of the covenant, namely faithfulness. God to man, man to God, man to his fellow man. To bring false witness against a fellow member of the covenant community involved lying and various forms of deception, and it would be motivated by self-interest rather than love. In other words, I have some reason either to make me look good, make him look bad, I don't like him, whatever it is, I'm not loving him. There's some self-interest rather than agape love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Its effects could be tantamount to slander, defamation of character, whatever it happens to be. I'm harming my neighbor. That's what he's getting at. Okay? It's not a matter of not speaking the truth. Of course, we should speak the truth. But it is a matter of being redemptive, being profitable in our speech about whatever we're trying to deal with. Here's the, prover- uh, the proverb I like. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. Boy, that's a statement, isn't it? This one has convicted me more than I hate to admit. I'm serious. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. In fact, this verse is the inspiration I have for speaking about weaning myself off death speak and learning how to, you got it, life speak. That's the opposite of death. That's how that works. Death speak, life speak, okay? This is the verse that always inspires me in that regard. Speech that gives life rather than death. Well, that would figure, because if we are to be growing and more and more like the covenant-keeping God who loves us and wants us to know the truth and have the truth set us free, then we're being conformed to him, and we should learn how to speak like him. Here's what the New Testament says. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of who? Of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Are we going to live without conflict? Duh! Duh means no. We are not going to live without conflict. We are going to have conflict. You like the wrong team that's playing today. Oh, that's Mickey Mouse. Who cares, right? Nobody cares about that. Anybody gets wound up about that needs to come see me for counseling. Anyway, the thing is, we have conflict, right? We're going to. People are going to do things. People are going to move your cheese as the... Anybody remember that book? Somebody move my cheese, right? They're going to move your cheese. They're going to do something. It's going to torque your shorts. It's just going to happen. It is going to happen. How do you deal with that? See, the Bible's so straightforward. That's what the Old Testament said. Do not hate your brother. Speak frankly to him. You're doing wrong. Hey, I found out that if I at least tell the person what I know is broken and they don't listen to me, I can still handle it a lot better once I've unloaded. Be angry and do not sin Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What is that saying? That's saying if you seethe and let it go day after day, you become bitter. And hatred will kill you. 
literally, literally. I got so many stories on that, but I'll control myself. Put on the new self, become more like God, speak truth. Yes, you're going to get angry. Yes, things are going to rub you wrong. Most of it, can I, just, can I be candid? This is like my discussion. Can I be candid? Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I always say this to husbands and wives. Okay, so husbands and wives, you have conflict, right? Come on, stop lying to me. You have conflict. You always do, somewhere along the line. If you don't have conflict, one of you is not necessary, right? So somewhere along the line, you have conflict. Even if... It's time to grow. Anyway. So, I mean, like my wife, we don't fight more than once every decade, but we do have conflict, you know. And uh, once in a blue moon. Here's the deal. You have conflict. You disagree on something ten times. Nine times out of ten, she's right. Just eat it, guys. It's the truth. But that one time, that one time, hold to your guns and lead. That's when you have to lead so that you don't go off a cliff together. Seriously. Isn't that a, isn't that a nice way to run it? That works. Anyway. Same thing with conflict. When I have conflict with people, here it comes. Nine times out of ten, you should be mature enough to blow it off. You should be mature enough to blow it off. You should just say, look, uh, Boy, that was a jerky thing to say. To yeah, to yourself. <laughs> Mostly. There may be an occasion. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? I mean, I'll be blunt. Even if, when I came here three and a half years ago, if I kept a record of all the funny things, and I'm saying funny in the loosest sense of the word that were said to me, Nine, nine percent, nine, nine times out of ten, you should be able to go, oh, that was just, that was kind of foolish. I'm going to cut them slack and assume they didn't even hear themselves or whatever. Forgive them and move on. Often what we have to do is deal with our own sense of rejection and our issues from our upbringing or whatever it happens to be. Why I can't handle the fact that they said that to me. Ah! But then one in ten times, you're going to have to go deal with that. You're going to have to go speak the truth in love, and you say it nicely, like, you're a jerk. Why did you say that to me? No, that's not how you do it. But I can say, James, when you said that to me, you made me feel like... Da-da-da-da. No, that's not where I was going with that. With all due respect, you're a jerk, yeah. I know we're laughing about it, but the fact is, if I can say one of the most crippling problems on the underbelly of harmony is that we don't do this. And I'm going to prove it to you in just a couple minutes. Oh, there was like, fasten your seatbelt. Who's he going to rat out? Nobody. Nobody. I'm just going to use some illustrations. Speaking about life speak versus death speak. Anybody remember um, Mr. Eldred did those books, Wild at Heart, all of those? In one of those, he talks about a father's cutting words to his children. I don't even have to read that because I remember a guy up north that had four children, and all he ever was able to say to them was how stupid they were. Uh, Do I need to explain that his daughter got pregnant out of wedlock very early, that two kids got delinquent status, that only one managed to survive it at all? 
because there's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. I think about people who come home from church, and I, I saw some of this myself, and they're having roast pastor for lunch. What a brilliant thing to do in front of your children. Magnificent. How to reinforce respect for authority and spiritual leadership and the truth of the word. Brilliant. Very good. Uh, Needless to say, you can't sow your wild oats and then pray for crop failure because it doesn't work. How can we stumble? Let Let me make it more down where we live. We, uh, some of us, have been plowing through this book, which I've got the title right in front of me this time. Thank you. Thank you. God loves sarcasm. Anyway, um, and by the way, uh, Peter Scazzaro's church is about 15 minutes from where I grew up in Queens, and Gary, who was here speaking Several years back, remember my brother Gary dealing with those who are sexually conflicted? Uh, he's actually setting up their pro- his program down at his church this weekend. Oh, last weekend he was down there. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Let me just read this one list. People would ask him stuff. He'd say things, and I, I have to say I hate this list because I am so guilty. So what did most Christians, I did what most Christians do. I lied a lot, both to myself and to others, about handling conflict because you're not going to get away from conflict. What do you do when faced with the tension and mess of disagreements? Some of us may be guilty of one or more of the following. You ready? Say one thing to people's faces and another behind their backs. Make promises we have no intention of keeping. Blame. Attack. Here's my favorite. Give people the silent treatment. You've never done that in marriage, have you? Become sarcastic. My wife is smiling at me. I inherited it from multiple generations, a magnificent gift of sarcasm. And uh, I've been praying for God to purify me, and he's getting it out. So I used to say, I don't have a sarcastic bone in my body. And my wife would say, you've got hundreds. (laughs) Give in because we're afraid of not being liked. Ooh. Leak. Our anger by sending an email containing a not-so-subtle criticism. Tell only half the truth because we can't bear to hurt a friend's feelings. If you ever hear me say, you want me to stop? Too bad. Um, if you ever hear me say, uh, Don, I have to speak the last 10% to you. That means the truth is coming out. Okay? I have to say the last 10% here. I don't always have to. You know, we're not under obligation to spill everything that comes into our minds like Bonhoeffer said. You know, that would be a nightmare. But there are times we do have to deal like adults with each other instead of like eight-year-olds. 
Tell only half the truth because we can't bear to hurt a friend's feelings. Say yes when we mean no. Avoid and withdraw and cut off. Find an outside person with whom we can share in order to ease our anxiety. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Anybody else? I want to learn how to speak profitably. How about you? Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Who knew that all of that was in that short little verse? Wow. Today, though, I want to park on us edifying one another. We can speak life to one another. We can encourage one another with what God is doing in our hearts, what he's showing us, how we're changing, show what he's been working in our inner spirit, and we can certainly give praise to him as we gather around the table this morning, right? We're going to participate. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to ask those who are serving to come forward. The worship team is going to be up front. We're going to sing a couple of songs that fit right in. And um, I'm going to ask you to take a couple of minutes in silence here before we sing just to do some inventory. I just gave you a hit list, and I don't think anyone in the room could have escaped every one of those because I sure didn't. And uh, get just a couple of minutes to put some things before God and wait on him. So let's worship the Lord silently, and in a minute we will sing, and then we will partake of the Lord's table together.